This is possibly the most sensitive episode yet, where I discuss spirituality, community, and loss with Austin. I hope you enjoy. Austin, <laughs> welcome, my man. So excited to be Thank here. you so much yeah, to come here. Of course. I'm stoked. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Oh, of course, man. Um, so I have a question for mm-hmm. you. When it comes to a spirituality, I know there's a connection. The more entrepreneurs I meet, um, the more people who are taking life in their own hands and making their own future, right? I see a huge spiritual connection. There's spirituality is a big, it's a prominent aspect in their life. Mm. So what are your thoughts? What are your experiences on this? I have a feeling you have some interesting ones. Yeah, on like spirituality. Yeah. Broad stroke. Yeah. Um, I think with anyone's experience, um, it's their own. So I kind of have to start from like my own experience probably with that. Um, at least in terms of like how I was raised, how I saw the world and then kind of how that's like changed over time as well. Um, and I think I've gone through really interesting kind of, uh, ups and downs with that relationship and that experience. And I've learned to appreciate a lot more that I probably was critical of for a pretty significant amount of time um, because I saw the value that it had in my family's life, in my friends' lives, in my own life, um, while also being comfortable with the change uh, and knowing that like, when you're being reflective, when you are processing your childhood, when you're thinking about your experiences, the people that you've met in the world, so much of who we are changes. Mm -hmm. Um, We change how we see the world, we change how we, um, what we buy, why we buy it, Mm -hmm. who we have relationships with, um, our friendships, our opportunities, um, our careers. So many of those things like shift over time. So I think like if I look back uh, into my childhood, I was raised in a pretty evangelical environment in the South. I was raised in Memphis, Tennessee, which is an amazing city. Um, I have so much that I'm grateful for from where I was raised um, in the worldview that it kind of created, which mm-hmm. formed this foundational spirituality that, that began in the church, um, but also like in time was able to see so many perspectives from like a spirituality that was rooted in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and even beyond that, like early on, I think one of the, like the key things that comes to my mind that was a part of spiritual life for how we were raised as children was rooted in community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really at the heart of so much of what we experienced was here is a space like for spiritual practice Mm -hmm. and this is like what's existing in that space Mm -hmm. Uh, and what that was was like friendships Mm -hmm. relationships Um, there's so much I think in our early my early life I should say where I experienced that Um, and that was so key to creating kind of this baseline perspective of what it meant to have deep friendships Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a huge component of who we are um, both as individuals and how we exist in the world so I think like that kind of created this foundation of a spiritual perspective of what do I believe why like I I also like started in existentialism Mm -hmm. Um, why 
you know my favorite question and, yeah, by and, far and purpose <laughs> and you know existence um, and I really like that too like I of course appreciated the the history and the um, more specific components of say the Bible mm-hmm. but I think that I began in time in my life to understand that like I really appreciated the perspective that the spiritual components mm-hmm. of faith kind of created for me to see the world of like okay why with those questions existentialism like saying what what are we here for what is our purpose what what is our value um and i think that then began to define and for me define so much about where i headed mm-hmm. um and all of this was happening too in my like adolescence so I was being initially like engaged with these things. And a lot of that was due to where I went to school. Um, I was really grateful that we had, um, we had amazing teachers who were very invested in us, like, and had true relationships, like as mentors and, and guidance. And we were taught like philosophy. I remember in seventh grade, um, we had, we were taught Beowulf and we were taught in seventh like, grade it was awesome we were reading things <laughs> like the iliad and like stuff like that where we were like so we were being guided to look at like classic pieces of work and then kind of break those apart and, and in a lot of that stuff especially rooted in like philosophy and things like that you're of course stumbling right on existentialism and you're having to say like what does all this mean mm. um and i think the freedom to explore what a lot of those things mean began to define my spirituality Mm. um, and find purpose. I think a lot of the underlying pieces where I personally find purpose in life has to do with the human connection. That is like such a big piece to me. And it has been, I think it has been forever. I think it took a lot of reflection, processing, therapy, like all these things to get to the heart of um, what do I value? Who am I? And what do I want to be a part of during my life? Mm. Um, And knowing too that life is finite from what we know um, and what we can be completely sure of. Mm -hmm. Obviously what happens in death is like a topic for like wild discussion (laughs) and endless, you know, thought. Mm. Um, but I think I was that reading a lot about that this morning. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that when when it comes down to spirituality, like the core of who I am as a spiritual person is finding meaningful connection with other people, um, and that's looked like so many things from my friendships to intimate relationships um, to professional relationships, um, and I'm extremely grateful for the people that I've met, the people I've been mentored by, um, the people that I've been able to mentor in like small ways, I hope. Um, and just creating some degree of influence, I think surrounding why people are important. And a lot of that is rooted in what, what I've at least been able to learn about empathy um, and our ability to connect with people on a level that makes us approachable, mm-hmm. makes us kind, thoughtful. Um, and I think in that, 
we're able to then more deeply connect with everyone. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter where you were raised, who you are, what you believe, what color skin you have, what language you speak. Um, those are all barriers at times or things that we have to like navigate through to get on the same page. Mm. But like ultimately when we approach people, um, I think with an empathetic mindset um, and we are approachable people ourselves, um, I think that invites um, a degree of vulnerability. I think it invites a degree of openness, uh, communication, um, and just building relationship. So from everything you're saying, it seems like there seems to be this um, disconnect. Like a lot of people assume spirituality is connected with religion. Um, But from what I'm hearing, it seems like you think that spirituality is more connected with a relationship than with religion. And people could find that spirituality through like a healthy relationship, which is a lot of the vulnerability, empathy, a lot of things that you talked about. Um, Yes, kind of. Okay. Okay, I love this. Okay. Um, I think my... I think what I would say on the front end of that is we are all individuals. Mm. And I think that that needs to be a core part of our identity. Mm. doesn't mean that we're not sharing in partnership, whether it's an intimate relationship or friendship or family. But I think that individualism... Mm. And I, I want to make this clear. Like, when I say individualism, I also don't mean, like, we are the ultimate us. Okay. Blood. I was actually like, going to ask. Okay. Yeah, like, I just don't, like, I'm not too fixated on solving the problem of who is the ultimate and what is this and having it exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that makes people go crazy. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's made me go crazy a little bit, trying to, like, get that deep to say, like, what is ultimate individualism uh, where, you know, or, like, who is God exactly? What is God? What is the universe? Uh, like, it's like, yes, okay, like, those are exciting things to think about, but, like, I'm a pretty practical person, so I need things that I can, like, apply mm. um, and do mm-hmm. um, to feel value and feel like I'm enjoying and happy with what I'm doing. So I think, like, when I when I think about spirituality in relationship, spirituality in regard to a faith or a religion, um, I would say like in my experience of the people that I've met in the world, anyone I've met who identifies with a religion is a spiritual person. Doesn't mean like, are there also like extremes on that? Absolutely. But spirituality can be and is a component of religion. Most people who practice a spectrum of religion in the world like are deeply spiritual people. I think that, like, in my experience with who I am, when I think about faith and when I think about spirituality, I think one of the ways that we can exist in our spirituality is through human relationship. Mm. I wouldn't say that it necessarily defines... I I wouldn't say, actually, that it's defined by relationship because I think we are individuals. Mm. So I think that it's important, too, that, like, we as individuals have an identity that is deeply connected to how we see the world and how we want to experience the world and how we can be um, impactful, loving, kind, approachable um, 
and also like it's not also all just like love and peace like relationships are messy humanity is messy we have to take into account the reality of like the fact that like we're not one's perfect and like we don't get things right and we make mistakes and we hurt each other um and sometimes we have experiences from the past and trauma um we have we have all these experiences that we collect right from the moment that our minds are in existence that inevitably impact who we are mm-hmm. and i think that it would be really reckless to not take those things into consideration when we look at people in the world where were we born how were we raised what influences were there um how were we supported uh, did we you know what in what sort of family did we grow up in where what did we have what did we not have um, and i think so many of those environmental components are so critical to looking at people in the world and understanding that like there isn't one way that was right mm-hmm. there are many ways though that people have been affected by really difficult things um and i think we have to take those into account when we look at the world and when we individualize and when we consider who we are as individuals um i think reflection is a is a really valuable practice mm-hmm. is what i would say mm-hmm. because at least for my experience in in who i feel like i am as a person my ability to stop and to think not just about a circumstance or an exact time but like go through patterns understand how i communicated think about who that affected um decisions that i made about my education or my professional life or relationships with my family members um just like to really go back and like deeply and I, and I think there's like an important thing to say here too like the majority of the world on a daily basis is trying to survive mm. so in a way i do want to like separate like i feel very grateful that i can even have the time and space to reflect mm. from my experience in the world and the people that i've met and people that i've worked with in developing countries in places in East Africa and places in Central America certain places all over the United States people that I've interacted with on all levels of society anywhere I've ever been in the world so many people are just trying to survive mm-hmm. they're trying to make ends meet they're trying to cover rent they're trying to be able to pay for medical bills um, they're trying to eat and so it is a luxury to be reflective in my opinion and it doesn't mean that I should not do it just because I have the luxury of doing it I think that I have found personal value in being reflective and I think that that is something that's ultimately created my perspective on who I am as a spiritual being how that relates to other people um and how I want to relate to everyone as i interact with people from you know, that goes from like 
all levels of society, mm. whether you're like checking out at the grocery store or in a like transactional business relationship yeah. or you're like doing something for fun, like all of those things begin to influence kind of how we interact with people. Um, sorry, I'm probably a little off track, but no, it's, it's actually really great. <laughs> okay. Um, and it brings up a interesting, um, question that I've been thinking about for a while and it's about community. Um, I love community. I think it's incredibly important personally. Um, I have found so much personal growth through a community to be able to have someone there in that that's close enough to you that can call you out on all your crap and be like, okay, dude, you fucked up here. This was wrong. You need to change here. And someone else that isn't to go right along with that, someone who's not just there to do that, but also there to encourage you. And when you're down and when you're depressed and when everything is falling out to be like, yo, dude, I got your back. Like, we, you're gonna get through this, we got this. And having that balance um, and a lot of what you're talking about, I personally have found through different communities that I've intentionally developed, intentionally play, placed myself in. Um, and one reason why I love Colorado, why I love being here is because people like you, people like my brother, people like Justin mm -hmm. Ray, um, Cole was even actually really great. Like, and I just met the kid. Like, you guys have a really incredible community here yeah. and it's absolutely gorgeous. So have you been in the habit of like developing these communities mm -hmm. or have you just more found yourself because of who you are that these communities are kind of attracted to you or how has that been for you? Yeah, I mean, that's a great, I mean, I would say like, kind of even what I touched on before with like how I was raised in the church mm -hmm. and, and we were very much like, I feel like community was such a key piece to that. Cause mm -hmm. like you developed your friendships, you yeah. had friends that you met in school, you also went to church and you saw each other on weekends and you had parties together and you just like had all of these things that began to kind of cycle. And I think that um, depending on where people are and, and what people are interested in, like, geographically speaking like sometimes that can be really tough on people finding mm. and developing community um trust is a huge part of that mm. um, and i think developing trust for me and my experience with that with my friends probably started in probably like early i mean third fourth fifth grade was probably the foundational side because i met my friends and i made between fourth grade in seventh grade are still to this day relationships that I have in my life. Mm. And Damn. I mean, my friend Christian, my friend Brett, my friend um, Rob, like these relationships and some of those didn't forge until high school and really became like, obviously we were like becoming like people. <laughs> we were like busy, you know, having like gone through puberty and mm. like- Just that small thing. No yeah, like deal. discovering like, mm consciousness and like like just being like oh decisions matter and there are consequences and you know like all these like basic things but like we were developing those friendships mm -hmm. and like i think honestly like one of the things that i like that comes to mind in early community um is with my friend christian who god we had to have met in third grade um uh, and then his family moved away so we were good friends and he moved away for several years he lived in germany and we kept in touch on AOL Instant Messenger, classic, <laughs> um, and it was awesome. We still, I can't remember his full screen name, but it was El Nino something. 
<laughs> and like I think about like the times where we'd like you know have to connect to a 56k modem and yes yeah like all the noises are happening and then like we'd be on and we'd like get to chat and he was in Germany and I was in the US and so we had this time between like when we could talk but we would like just find ways of like hey what's up man how's it going what are you doing and we did that for several years uh, and then the day or day after he flew back to the US to move home I went and saw him and I still remember visually the house that I went to. He was his family had come in town and they were staying with friends. I remember like going to it, going like seeing him at the door, and then it was just like we had maintained and built a relationship with what we had, mm. which was critical for our relationship as friends. Yeah. We had AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> that was it. Uh, you know, we were like, what? I don't know how you old you are. We were young, yeah, and there well, we couldn't just like get on a plane and go visit each other, mm. and so, like from that moment on, we had this just deep friendship that um, was always there, and we had friendships with other people like that. Um, my friend Doug comes to mind from the same time, and those relationships were just forged. And like we, one of the things that like I think really is so key to those relationships is we spent time together. Mm that's what it was physical time together so like go to each other's homes go out to do things um we ran around in the woods a lot because we just like liked being outside like we just really enjoyed conversations talking about things exploring like you know as we like started dating and doing other things like we shared those things with each other like we were very open with each other in trust openness vulnerability being compassionate, being patient, being forgiving. I think some of those things created like the foundational perspective on how to build community. Um, and those experiences to me were so critical with developing ongoing communities. Mm. Um, I also had an experience after high school, I went to this, uh, it's an independent study school in Switzerland called Labrie, mm. and it's an intentional community um, where you work half of the day on things like making meals for everyone or keeping the grounds, um, whatever that may be, projects here and there. Uh, and then you study half of the day mm. independently, whatever you want to study, mm. spirituality, um, whether it's something that would be tied to like a religion, um, you know, or philosophy, um, all the way down to people getting into like nitty gritty pieces of like theology and mm. things like that. Um, but it was so neat because you're, it's like 30 people in a chalet in Switzerland, small little village. Um, and so you're just like, I think that was also this really unique kind of training of like, well, oh, I haven't really lived this close to this many people except for my family in a house. Mm. Uh, this is interesting. Like, and you just like begin to share and you begin to like learn boundaries, mm. um, know what you need, know what to ask for. Mm. Um, I think communication is such a big piece of that too. Um, yeah. Mm. So how has that, like going through those experiences, learning how to develop that community, develop those relationships, um, now how has that affected you like to this day in like a slightly different realm, in your like professional realm? Because mm -hmm. I, I have a feeling that it's connected, um, but, and I know personally for me it's affected, um, but how has it affected you? Professionally, like building yeah. community and yeah. like professional life. Yeah. Um, I think that has differed a lot based on the environment I've been in for work. Okay. Um, 
I mean, for the last four years, I've worked independently as a consultant and an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's, I think it's critical to have a like-minded community in that because there are a lot of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having professional community, I guess like for some people too, like some people I know like definitively separate those things. It's like, here's my professional life and the people in it. Here's my personal life and the people in mm-hmm. it. I feel grateful that those things for me have like intertwined and overlapped. Mm-hmm. I think some people probably hate that. Yeah. Um, I don't. Um, I'm so grateful. I mean, what brought me to Colorado? I was um, I'd been in the Northwest for eight, almost nine years, and I wanted to be closer to family. I'm originally from Tennessee, and I had clients here. Your brother and Justin being two of them, mm-hmm. um, and. I had experienced this friendship in Colorado. The way that that friendship came to be is kind of an, a, its own story. Mm. Um, in that, this would have been three years ago from August. Um, two years ago? I think two years ago. Okay. Sorry. Probably I think get that right timeline was. <laughs> Um, so yeah, two years ago, August, um, I, my best Christian who I talked about earlier, his mom called when one of our friends died very suddenly. Um, and he took his own life and that was very tragic, like, and really tough in that, um, found out. So it was kind of like, get home, like be there for yeah. family, for friends, uh, mourn together, celebrate his life um, in process, mm-hmm. kind of what we're going through. So went home, we all kind of convened back in, actually in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where he lived and where several of us had lived before. Mm-hmm. And uh, in doing so, I um, reconnected with a friend, Hannah, who mm-hmm. lives here, um, married to our friend, Tim. and. Hannah and I had, had seen each other at the funeral. We'd known each other in college. I was also there with my friend Mason. Um, and we were sitting around one night, kind of processing. We stayed for several days, obviously, when the sudden death comes, a yeah. very close friend. And Ryan wasn't just, he was a friend of mine, but he was also, I mean, I felt like a mentor to him. Christian was a mentor to him but he was our friend, like we were yeah. friends. Um, and it was such, we had such deep relationships. He came to visit me in Portland, he came to visit me in Seattle. He, um, we had years and years together um, and he was like, God, one of the most incredible people in the world. Um, so giving of his time, he started a wilderness therapy program to help um, students kind of process and heal from their experiences. Um, was taking kids who had never been into the wilderness into the wilderness. Um, really neat individual. Um, but with his loss came a lot of us getting together as friends and community mm. and healing together. Yeah. Um, I made incredible friendships through that healing process. Um, in that, I met Hannah again. Well, I didn't meet Hannah. Yeah. I, we, we reconnected yeah. from college and um, she just said, hey, like, that's some pretty neat friends in Colorado. Um, we were kind of all sitting around one night by a fire after and it was me and Mason and Hannah um, and another friend and we were just talking and I was like yeah I don't 
I don't really feel like I can go back home right away. Um, I just, this is like really heavy to me. And Hannah was like, hey, I have such an amazing group of friends in Colorado. Mm. On your return to Washington, why don't you fly to Colorado? Um, so I did. And it's just like, was That's not amazing. a hard decision to make. And we had all booked one-way tickets, just mm-hmm. went home with kind of an unknown return date for all of our stuff. Yeah. And, um, grateful that we also had the freedom and flexibility to do that with yeah. our professional lives and um, be together. And so in doing so, I like came to Colorado just as like, great, I'll meet some new friends, do this stuff. I met your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Justin. I met... Um, Sorry. Do it. Do it. Cool. So yeah. I think we were talking about kind of how I initially got introduced to people in Colorado, mm-hmm. which was through my friend Hannah. Yeah. Um, came through on a trip. We had lost our friend Ryan, um, kind of processing and healing from that. Uh, had all kind of reconvened in Chattanooga, Tennessee um, for the funeral and for the process. And when I came here, it was to get rest. That was kind of something that I had wanted to focus on. I didn't really anticipate building the friendships that I would and built those friendships, made some clients in the process for my work. I had a um, video production company at the time. Um, We had signed a contract with Rome here in Colorado, um, built those relationships out of that. And it was like, we talked about like, oh, well, what are we working on? Oh, you're an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. What do you do? I do this. We need that. Great. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, and so it worked out really well, but it was really neat because that was like one of the early processes for me in what we were talking about before, kind of meshing mm. professional life and personal life yeah. to like these people that I met that I just met one time on one trip for a couple of days mm-hmm. and like stayed in this duplex with you know, my friend Hannah lived there and she was on one side with two of our other friends and then three of their friends lived on the other side of that duplex in this house and it's like but it's people are working professionals and have their Mm. careers and have done their stuff and it was just this really neat environment that I've seen before and I've experienced Mm. before but this was like a new stage in life and especially for me yeah I was so fearful of stepping away from full-time work to work on my own I was so scared I was like how do people become consultants what does that mean like how do you do that Mm. Uh, how do you start a business yourself Um, how do people have the money for that how um, how do people handle this risk mm. of doing these things? There's a lot of fears that come with so it. So much. And in that one experience with just visiting Colorado and meeting new friends and picking up some new clients, it was so meaningful to me because I was in a like-minded community mm. of people who knew how all of that felt. Mm. and Or they were feeling it at the time. Yeah. Or not knowing then, but down the road over the next year or two would feel it later. And we just built this cool friendship. It was awesome. And I had just moved um, out to a small town in central Washington. Um, I bought a really old house. Uh, I had always wanted to fix up an old house. So I bought like a 110 year old house in the middle of this town of 2000 people, Clay Ellen, Washington. It's awesome. (laughs) Town's beautiful. The people that are like talk about community mm. i mean that like my experience with like living in a rural town mm-hmm. um 
the immediate community. Mm. My neighbors were generational families. Gotcha. I met all these business owners, small community in the mountains, incredible people, mm. like incredible people. And those are my foundational clients for yeah. being an entrepreneur. And they, regardless of whether they know that or not, like from every photo job for making a couple hundred bucks for shooting photos to, um, you know, my first like 10,000 plus contract as a production company was yeah. all there. And so it was like very, very formidable mm -hmm. for who I became as an entrepreneur and who I wanted to become as a consultant and help small businesses and help nonprofits. And the community I built in Colorado really ushered that forward. And, and then it began to mesh even deeper because I maintained these relationships here. And I spent a couple years in Washington in that town, got some things launched, um, started the media production company with my friend Travis. Um, we hired our friend Ryan. We hired our friend Kate. We had this like cool team that would collaborate on projects and we were doing stuff out of the house. Um, I was able to work on my house, which had always been a dream of mine. I like gutted the kitchen and my friend Doug, who was actually just speaking to yesterday, um, he lives in Copenhagen now. He's mm. an architect and designer. He helped me redesign my kitchen through his master's process. Um, and it was actually with him, with Doug, that I stumbled on this town. Mm. I was living in Seattle at the time. Mm -hmm. And we had been out in kind of eastern part of Washington for a project for Doug. He was getting his uh, master's in architecture. And so he was designing his thesis project. Wow. So he had to pick a site. So he actually picked the Hanford site. Have you, have you ever heard of the Hanford no. site? No. The Hanford site um, has a bleak history um, of processing I'm not a nuclear scientist so <laughs> I'm not going to get this right hmm. um, but basically processing uranium okay. to be used for the atom bomb hmm. I believe okay. it was at the Hanford site and I believe that it was where the uranium was enriched for the bombs that we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki wow. which is extremely tragic wow. and a very bleak obviously part of our history. Um, but it's a desolate site with, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's somewhere between like six and 10 former sites. So you can like, you go out and it's like vast. Um, and they're all like filled in, covered yeah. with concrete. And so like, so he picked that site as his site to design his architectural thesis project. Interesting. Which was an agave processing plant mm. is what he designed. It's awesome. Doug's Hilarious. Brilliant. Okay. It's so cool. Like, I wish I had, like, the images from when he drew this because it's, like, so brilliant. And it was so unique and so cool. So I, I went out with him to shoot photographs of the landscape mm -hmm. so he could bring those photographs in and then design his plant mm -hmm. into those photographs mm -hmm. on that site. Um, okay, he was okay. kind of using a gravity design for the plant to process. Mm -hmm. Really brilliant. Doug's mind mm -hmm. is incredible. Um so we were coming back from that trip, actually. And I think this is relevant to your question about community and mm -hmm. professional life because mm -hmm. this was also when I had lived alone for several years and had ended up moving into a home, into a house in Seattle, in Green Lake. Um, and Doug was one of my housemates. Developed this awesome friendship. And he's like such a neat guy. And he was actually transitioning out when I moved in. But we... 
became friends before and then I ended up moving into the house that he lived mm-hmm. in with a couple of friends um, and kind of built, started building some like community at the adult level of like mm-hmm. professional life and things like that. And so we built this relationship and he was kind of wrapping up and he was like making plans to move overseas when he finished school. He was doing this last project. He said, hey, you come out with me and um, photograph this site and would love to use your images to design my, my thesis project. And I was like, honored, of course. Like, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I'd love to, of course, duh. Um, so, and I've been a photographer. Like, photography is so important to me, and I love mm-hmm. it. In any way that I can, like, use that to help people, I'm like, oh, of course, like, happily do that. Yeah. Um, and so we go out, and we're on the trip back to Seattle. And we had stayed in this, uh, in this town in Washington. Ellensburg is the name of the town. Mm-hmm. And when we had stayed, we got an Airbnb and uh, the woman who owned the Airbnb had said, hey, there's a, have you guys ever been to Roslyn or Clay Elm? We're like, no. Um, well, Roslyn has the oldest bar in Washington. You guys should go for lunch on the way back. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Um, and you go in and uh, it's called, the, the bar is called The Brick. Uh, it was formerly the jail in town. The town was established in the late 1880s, I believe, mm-hmm. or early 1880s. You walk in and there's still like a spittoon running below okay. the bar, like where you would spit. Yeah. Um, wow. And it's like water flowing. There's still like, it's amazing. Like the mm. building, it's everything's like still there, very intact. The mm-hmm. little town is incredible. Mm-hmm. Roslyn, Washington. It's Washington. an amazing okay. place. Okay. It's also like the setting, like um, I know there was a show uh, in the, I want to say it was like 80s I don't know if it only ran in the 80s called Northern Exposure uh, and like one of the intro scenes like in well I guess one of the shots in the intro of the show mm-hmm. was shot in Roslyn interesting uh, Dick Van Dyke filmed a movie in Roslyn mm-hmm. um, Roslyn has such neat mm-hmm. history it, these were old coal towns mm-hmm. so the the economy the local economy mm-hmm. there was um, really birthed out of the timber industry and the coal industry. Um, and so, you know, obviously we're many, many, many decades from when those economies were established. Mm. We got there, it's like a beautiful, like fall day. No, it was in the spring. That's <laughs> wrong. Yeah. It was a spring day. I want to say it was in March or May. Okay. Um, and we got in, had lunch, and we walked around this little town. And Roslyn, I think, has about 800 or 900 residents, mm-hmm. I want to say. Uh, and it was such a beautiful little town. And there was, um, we ate lunch at the break, and we walked through kind of the neighborhood around the corner. And there was a particular experience that I had. We go to walk, and there's a guy's house. And he had horses, like, in his yard of mm-hmm. his house. And, like, it was, like, probably half-acre lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we just like walked over and I was just like petting horses in this guy's like front yard in this town. And I was like, this town is incredible. Mm. This place is incredible. And I hadn't really like, I, at this point I was like, yeah, you know, I, I really love the mountains. I had spent some time in the mountains before that. And, uh, I hadn't spent a lot of time in the mountains mm-hmm. in the Northwest. I'd like go out with some friends, do things here and there. But I was mostly just working and lived in the city. Yeah. And in that moment of being there and kind of having those experiences with Doug 
and having lunch and seeing these cool towns and this history. And it was only about an hour and a half from Seattle. I just like fell in love with it. Yeah. I was like, I love what I'm experiencing and feeling when I'm in this town and mm. in this place right now. Like I was very present. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, part of mine and Doug's conversations during that trip had kind of prompted some of those things. And it was a time in life for me where I was like really questioning a lot about my professional life. And I was enjoying what I was doing, but I wasn't fulfilled and fully happy about where I was headed. And uh, three weeks later, I bought a house there. Wow. And like got really intense about, was like, oh, I'm going to buy a house here. Like, I love this place. Mm. And this is probably kind of crazy. And I think some of my friends thought I was crazy <laughs> for like being in, in Seattle, growing city, lots mm -hmm. of stuff going on, lots of opportunity. Um, and it was, it's, it's such a beautiful place. Mm. I bought this old house that I knew I would redo. Doug helped me do that. Um, and that was all such a process for me because like, I mean, I didn't think I'd ever be able to buy a house. Yeah. I mean, how like in college and after college, I was poor. I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything. It was mm -hmm. like, oh, I can afford to rent my $400 apartment in Memphis where I, you know, was in college and things like that. And it's like, uh, how do people do this? Mm -hmm. I, I just like had gone through all these discovery processes and done things. And eventually I was kind of like, the only way I'm going to learn how to do something is if I just go do it. Mm. And if I just go figure it out myself, like mm. sometimes we're just not going to have people to tell us how to do things. Mm. Um, and I was like nervous about doing that in general it's risk, new risk taking in life that I was like, is this, should I do this right now? Is this mm. like smart? Uh, what are all the risks? Like, Oh my gosh, it's a house. Um, but I think through that process and through creating some time, eventually I ended up moving out there full time, left the city, um, lived out there for two years, or I guess I was there for like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. I was back and forth in the city for a year. It was cool. I got to use the house. I redid the kitchen. I redid the backyard. I built like an area of fire pit in the backyard. Um, we had like one of the gnarliest winters ever. The first winter I was there, there was three feet of sitting snow for months, four months. Um, it was awesome. I got mm. snowed in several times, which was like a crazy experience for me to have. It was like, people don't get snowed in anymore. Like that's not a thing. And like, sure enough, find this town and move in. And I mean, I remember waking up several mornings in the winter with a foot of new snow, two mm. feet of new snow, mm -hmm. three feet of new snow. But I started having these experiences in that town, in that place mm. that I would have never had if I had stayed in the city. Yeah. A lot of those dealt with my experiences with nature, mm -hmm. being able to leave my home and I was like immediately in the woods. It was a beautiful place, mm -hmm. rural, wooded. I mean, I don't know if you've ever like seen a photo of a larch tree, but larches right now in the fall season, they're, they're an evergreen that turns bright yellow like fluorescent interesting yellow it's okay. unbelievable and then mm. to gold mm -hmm. it's so beautiful and then mm. those are scattered among the evergreens in, in this the area the yeah. northwest um i had elk come through my front yard that's amazing. i had fruit trees yeah on, on at my house like i could pick plums i could pick pears i had rhubarb my neighbors had apples my neighbors had cherries mm. it was incredible it was just like kind of this 
new experience for me and being out there full time, being able to have local clients, um, work there, live there, and really settle into like a small community, mm. I think really began to transform the way that I saw the world. Especially with one thing that was like big to me is I had never, I'd never lived anywhere that was like a more rural town or a small mm-hmm. town in America. And this was shortly after the last election, mm-hmm. which like without a shadow of a doubt, like there was a lot of influence from rural communities and people who were frustrated with feeling run over by yeah. general political perspectives of large city and urban environments. Mm-hmm. And I felt really, I felt that I really could like rural communities were very unrelatable to me. And that was kind of concerning because I felt like rural communities in America had a big voice in our last election, regardless of who who voted for who, none of that. It was just like there's a voice here in a in a that I that I don't I'm not familiar with. And that kind yeah. of bothered me. Honestly, mm. I felt kind of dumb. Mm. I was like, lived in cities most of my adult life. Most people criticize rural communities. But I haven't lived there. Yeah. I don't, I haven't lived in a rural community. How am I supposed to have an opinion about rural communities without living in the midst of a rural community? Mm. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So, it, it, and I'll be honest, one of the greatest experiences of experiencing people who loved their neighbors. So, this is really interesting. Cause, so when you said you moved out there, one, you said your your friends thought you were crazy leaving. Not like, all of them. I mean, I yeah. think people were more, but they weren't like you're dumb or anything <laughs> like that. I think it was yeah. just more of like, it's an hour and a half away. Yeah, it's out there. It's a small town, right? You like, sure. <laughs> leaving all like Seattle with all these opportunities. Yeah, going out to this rural community. Yeah. Um, and like I've lived in many rural communities most of my okay. life. Okay. Um, I actually have been the opposite. I haven't been in many cities. Okay. Um, and so have you seen coming from a city then going to that rural community? Did you see a priority shift from the career to more of a fulfillment thing? And how has that affected you? Yeah, wow. It was the season that that was happening. Mm. I think it was a season where I was was questioning so much about um, the value, like value in life and Mm. what, what do we ultimately want in life? Like, what do we want? What do I want? Hard questions. They are hard, and and I feel so, I feel so lucky, mm. truly lucky, again that I even have the opportunity to ask myself that question mm. because so many people in this world are work, just working to survive. Yeah, um, and I get, I have the opportunity to sit and ask myself that question, take some time, um, and in doing so, it doesn't mean that it's easy, mm. um, but I think that I was like kind of had a little bit of a freak out of like what am i doing mm-hmm. not that i hadn't had that before mm-hmm. i'd had that several times before <laughs> but i think i was For someone more... like you who's really deep intellectual that that doesn't surprise me having that a lot of times Thanks. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean well i think too it was like more i was like instead of just like letting this like stew i'm gonna start taking action i'm mm. gonna do stuff i'm probably gonna get a lot of things wrong which i've gotten a lot of things wrong in my mm. life endless amounts of things wrong <laughs> and I've done things poorly and like I've hurt people people have hurt me uh, you know I've had plenty of like relationships that didn't work out like ebbs and flows yeah. and all these things but yeah. I think ultimately I was like I am 
I now really want to start taking action. Exactly. Without taking that action, nothing's literally nothing's going to happen. No, it's not. And no one is going to do that for you. Mm -hmm. That was something that like really the experience that I have is like, no one's going to do this for me. It's funny. This is a whole season I was going through like last year into the beginning of this year, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when you and I first met yeah. was going through this and realizing, you know what? Like life, life is going by. No matter what happens, what I do, life is going by whether I like it or not. And if I want to change it, I have to start taking the action, the specific steps that I want mm -hmm. to create the life that I want, living with that intentionality. Because no one else is going to do that for me. 100%. That's yeah. a hard lesson to learn. Oh, it's hard. It's scary. Terrifying. Yeah. And I mean, it means that you, um, it means you're going to take some risk. Mm. I quit my full-time job. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Huge risk, right? Huge scary, risk. Scary, scary, scary. And like, I think it's interesting too when people like, I mean, I know we're on a podcast when I'm mm. talking about these things and like, I'm sure there will be a lot of feelings about things we talk about in this. Oh, but like, sure. you know, like when people talk about that, it's like, oh, you have the luxury of like quitting your job. You have a safety net. You got this <laughs> and that. Like you're on a podcast, you know, and it's like, no, like there are many of us who don't have mm. certain safety nets. And mm -hmm. I think that that is something that's like been a really important conversation with me and my friends mm. who have to take certain risks is understanding like, yeah, yeah, if I needed to like bail on everything and like could move back to one of my parents' houses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could have a room yeah. in a parent's house. But like, yeah. when you're trying to say like, what life do I want? And what brings me joy? And what am I gonna do to make that happen? Mm -hmm. And what can I do? What's actually in my control? Yeah. That's a bigger part of the Much question. Much bigger. Um, and I think that's something I learned through therapy mm -hmm. and through processing yeah. and healing and reflection is um, we have to learn to separate things in what is in our control, mm -hmm. what is out of our control, mm -hmm. and focus on what we can do with mm -hmm. what's in our control. I'm not good at that necessarily, mm. <laughs> uh, but I've just realized and I've been taught that that's really important. Yeah, uh, and we need to see the world that way. Yeah, at least if we want to be able to maybe maintain some degree of stability <laughs> in our psychological state. For real. And do you think not having a safety net has been helpful yeah in some ways it's scary i know it's terrifying no, but it is it is yeah. um i think in some ways i would say in to be more specific mm -hmm. in some ways it's helpful in that i feel like i've accomplished things on my mm -hmm. own um in other ways it's a total disaster mm -hmm. yeah and you i mean i've lost my shit so many times yeah like yeah for real, real. <laughs> so you know i think it's like uh you know it, it, it's i think like in again it's not that i have zero safety nets yeah. it's not that you have zero exactly. safety nets but i think that there's also a piece for people like you and i who want we do want to be able to do things on our own mm -hmm. like and we want it doesn't mean that those decisions are easy and it doesn't mean that certain safety nets exist yeah yeah, we could always fall back and have a room to stay in in our yeah. parents' home. Sure. So, like, okay, we can take certain risks, but, like, we also have things we want to achieve yeah. that take steps that we don't want to just say, like, I'm constantly going to throw things to the wind and take all these risks. Mm -hmm. But that became a big process for me. Before I turned 30, I remember, like, you know, like, every it's really funny, like, I think in American culture with, like, having a decade transition and I mean your 20s are awesome <laughs> come out of your teens and like becoming an adult now kind of kind of yeah when we also understand that like, in theory our brains don't fully form until we're 25 mm. 
there's a lot of pressure put on people in American society so to understand things pressure. at like a certain age. To it's make like, life-changing decisions at yeah. an age when your brain isn't fully developed. Way too early. So early. It's yes. insane. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and reckless. Mm. Uh, and I think like when I was coming into my 30s and everyone's like, well, you're getting old, 30s, and like the way people <laughs> talk about things. And I was, I've always been really bothered like when yeah. people talk about I'm old or you're old like when people like and I know it's like usually in like mm. jest and people like having fun but I just got what I what I feel like the perspective I gained from when I would see people doing that it was kind of like it's it's kind of a neg mm. I don't know if you like know that term I learned this term recently from neg. Cole neg eg yeah it's like yeah. a it's like a thing that you would say to someone that is kind of a criticism but it's also kind of playful okay. but it is a criticism yeah um and i think like oh like you know you're old is kind of like falls into that category yeah. and i was i think in time i was like i don't really want to talk about being old mm. like i don't like that joke mm -hmm. because i think it actually infiltrates people's mm -hmm. psyche mm -hmm. i think it truly affects like they say like i am old so i am this mm -hmm. or i am older and i can't do x and it's not That's to say that there aren't identity. like realities to that like mm -hmm. Yes, after I go for a long bike ride, my knees hurt longer now because mm -hmm. I am in my 30s and I've ridden bikes for a while. Yeah. Like, so, like, there are obviously physical and physiological things that come along with, like, mm. progression. But time. people put more limitations, unnecessary limitations. They do, and I, I think that they, I think they put that on themselves by subscribing to, I am old now, mm. I can't do certain things. Mm. And obviously, like I said, people do that in a joking manner. Yeah. But when you're coming in your 30s, I feel like I heard a lot of people saying that to 100%. me. Oh, you're in your 30s. You're getting old. You're going to start having XX and X. And some of those things did take me by surprise. Some of them mm -hmm. did. Um, and, but I set forth into my 30th year, and I had three things that I wanted to focus on eventually. I kind of narrowed it down. Uh, I had been seeing a therapist at this point, too. And so I was like, oh, I kind of want to narrow down some things to focus on for this transition. Mm -hmm. I'm not really going to buy into this whole I'm old yet thing. Mm -hmm. I've probably changed my tune on that a bit. <laughs> uh, but I I do want to focus on finding more joy in my life mm -hmm. and doing things that are fulfilling and make me happy and feel like I'm um, living a life that I'm excited about. And um, unfortunately, it's alliterative, which is embarrassing because mm -hmm. so many people, you know, three P's, four T's, like all these things. They all start with R's, ironically. Mm. Um, and, uh, but it was rest, risk, and reflection. Mm. And those were the three things that I, ch I chose, and I still, they're still a big part of yeah. my practice in life today. I think one of the first conversations I had with you, we talked mm. about this. Did we? Okay. Yeah, these <laughs> the three, I remember this specifically. It's like, sounds so dumb. Like, I feel like, I feel like if I've talked to people about that, mm -hmm. and I hear that reiterated to me, I feel like a, like, silly motivational speaker saying <laughs> that. Like, no, honestly, what it needs, is. you need right. to hear it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, for, I think for me, it just became one of those things. I had been through a number of things by this time in my mm -hmm. life. Like, in my childhood, I'm very grateful for my childhood. I had a lot more stability than so many people have in their mm -hmm. lives. But, you know, I had been through normal things that have happened in American society. Um, my parents were divorced. Um, I had, you know, relationships that I developed, friendships. Some were gained, some were lost. Um, went through my education, I accrued debt, got into my professional life, um, dated, married, got divorced, um, had existential crises about my professional life, changed. This is a lot to go through. It was like so many things yeah. are like building up to, to 
like which to me I began in this season of reflection to process a lot of those mm. things um, headed into being 30 mm. and I just found that I had an opportunity to to take time to really to really reflect mm. and to process and to say like that's where the obviously reflection comes in with what I wanted to do in terms of like thinking about my past and thinking about people whose lives I had affected, whose lives mm. had affected me, um, what I could do to improve myself and um, be a better friend, be a better partner. Um, and then moved over to risk. Mm-hmm. What risks am I willing to take? What does risk mean to me? Um, how do I take those risks? What, what are the factors there? Um, do safety nets, nets mm-hmm. exist for mm-hmm. some of these risks? Um, and rest, rest was like key. That was like a big one. I have the hardest time with that. But well, most people do. Yeah. I still do. Yeah. After years <laughs> out at this point, I turned 34 in about seven months. Mm. And so I'm four years into all of this. Mm. I mean, yeah. the more we learn, the more we know we don't know, right? Exactly. So like, but I have, I have developed a practice of rest mm. and a focus and... I think that shifted through a lot of a lot of friendships and relationships and people talking about things that maybe they wanted to incorporate in their life but they just didn't or i'm starting to do this and i'm seeing a lot of benefit from it and rest can be multiple things like i actually had a friend who was like really confused by i was talking about doing backcountry skiing which is um we've talked about this a little Mm -hmm. bit but you know you have you have your skis your snowboard and you go up a mountain it's hard um and i was one of my friends was asking me yeah like what's that experience like what, what do you enjoy about it? i was like it's kind of peaceful mm-hmm. they're like it's peaceful i'm like yeah it is like for some reason really hard exercise is very restful to me mm-hmm. i know that it's not everyone's thing but i also have a lot of friends who are endurance athletes and i think most of them find these zen like experiences through pushing their bodies really hard yeah. And that became restful for me. Mm. Um, just sitting on my ass. Yeah. I didn't do that a lot. Yeah. I've, I'm an active person. I'm an overactive person. I can't sit still very much. I think that's why the practice of rest in sitting for long periods of time that's became necessary because mm. it was kind of a, it was a challenge to who I, to my identity, which is when, you know, we get, we get inundated with these things. Like mm-hmm. um, I love my mom and she's awesome one of the things that like she's always told me which i think is good but is like yeah you can't sit still like ever Mm -hmm. that's true and the narrative of i can't sit still means that i inundated that narrative to myself where i said okay part of my right my identity is not sitting still Mm -hmm. um and she's right and I also wanted to change that about exactly. who it was. And so I had to change that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise I would just tell them, oh, you have to be active. That's a really difficult process. Oh, it, takes, it took me so many years. It took me mm-hmm. years to just understand that. Especially, too, because my mom meant that in a, it's a compliment. Exactly. It's like, yeah, this is who you are. And mm-hmm. you're, like, antsy and, like, always got to be going. And it's cool because you do this, this, and this. And it's true flip of you know flip that coin over and it's yes and i'm probably more exhausted and i probably don't know myself well Mm -hmm. and i've just subscribed to this identity Mm -hmm. and i've let it roll yeah so those challenges and those couple of things became very crucial Mm -hmm. for me in processing who i was 
moving to a small community to do that. Like mm. I was excited to leave the city through that process. That's pretty dramatic. Say, it was very dramatic. Yeah, it, wow. it felt a little odd. I yeah. mean, it felt like a big risk mm. in and of itself. It also felt like a place that I could rest. Mm. It felt like a place that I could be reflective. Um, I'm not really too keen like I think a lot of people get all jazzed about talking about like drugs that they do. <laughs> I know it's out of the blue, but um, I, I cannabis to me was like a massive, mm-hmm. massive influence in moving me to reflection and processing and healing from a lot of things in my life. Mm-hmm. Sounds absurd. It's so recreational now. You know, it's yeah. just like it's like going out and getting a drink to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That wasn't what it was for me. Like mm-hmm. I. I had smoked like a couple times in my life with my brother, um, who's a really important person in my life. We're very close. Um, we usually like, we've walked around the cities he lived in and look at architecture and talk about really personal things yeah. and like connect deeply um, as we've like smoked together. And for me, I was able to use that process as something that was very new and was very healing and was very like, it helped me rest. Yeah. It also helped me like work through a lot of things that yeah. I just did. We just, like a lot of people, like I said, with the majority of people in the world trying to survive, we're really just living. Yeah. And oftentimes we don't, we don't have the luxury and most people absolutely do not have the luxury of spending this much time in reflection. Mm-hmm. So I, I consider that to be, I'm extremely grateful that that could be a part of my life in any form or fashion. Um, and I think being willing to kind of get out of my comfort zone a little bit mm-hmm. and smoke a little bit more, rest, mm-hmm think think about the past not to fixate on the past but to process the past there's a difference there yeah and look and say like who was I who am I who do I want to be so three of the most important questions you can ask about yourself I think so like and I think that it becomes there's not really a time that you like couldn't ask yourself that Mm. question because it you don't want to fixate on the past Mm. Obviously, like we can have a lot of things that are very difficult in our lives if we fixate too much or if we are overwhelmed by our past. Now, mm. some people's past too are very overwhelming and that was not of their own doing. People yeah. are victims of trauma and victims of difficult environments and circumstances. They didn't do that to themselves. Yeah. That's a factor we have to take in when we, when we talk about people's past and trauma and who people become and who they are. I think that when when I began to process, I started looking at critical relationships in my life mm. and what had those meant to me and what had I done about them and what was I doing about them. Um, and that meant having some very direct conversations with some people. It also meant people that had been in my life in my past, um, like my ex-wife, mm-hmm. who is an incredible person. She's amazing. And she's one of the most like, Oh my God, her like job, like she's a therapist now. She takes care of students. She is an incredible person, but we did not have a healthy relationship. (laughs) But like in my time processing, it's like our relationship wasn't good. And we didn't, this, we didn't work well together. Mm -hmm. But like, as I began to process, it's like, but we're individuals too. And like, I was like, oh my God, like, damn, I wish I could have that perspective then to be more thoughtful and not that we would like wouldn't have stayed together, but like to be more thoughtful about that process. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that like that those things really caused me to be like, okay, like 
I'm thinking about this stuff now. It's part of my life now. I have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to like have these conversations with people mm-hmm. and begin to work on things. It's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. It's going to take probably forever, truly, until I die, yep. <laughs> until they die, yeah. until we all die. Um, but what if we have the ability of taking relationships from the past, focusing on the relationships that present themselves in the present mm-hmm. and what present themselves in the future in being better, mm-hmm. being better communicators, being more transparent and vulnerable, building trust. Um, and I think that like those experiences of moving to a small town, building these intimate relationships with my neighbors too, who are like the most giving kind people ever, initially being supported by a community as an entrepreneur and having opportunity to work and get paid for it. Um, and all of these things were kind of happening simultaneously in that season of life. And I, I am so grateful for what it caused in me to have to go to some dark places and visit some things that I wasn't proud of to say, how can I be better? Like, and how can I not only think about this, what can I do? Mm. Right. Very action oriented from Mm -hmm. that. Um, I feel like if you don't have that action oriented part, I know from my personal mm -hmm. experience that I've gone through a lot, it's similar process. Like if you don't have that action oriented, if you don't have, okay, what can I do from here on forward? then it's so much easier to just get fixated on that past and to take that victim mentality. And I am who I am because of what's happened to me and therefore I'm stuck with who I am instead of taking that step and saying, yes, that is part of who I am. That is a huge part of why I am the way that I am. But I can move forward with that. I don't have to only be this. That has made me who I am, but I can use this and I can move forward. Mm. And having that action something that you can look and say okay this is what's gotten me to here now how can i move forward having that step has been so crucial at least for me and i know a lot of other people yeah i mean i think it is critical and i think it's really hard it's there's Mm. nothing simple about that and it it also patience is really important patience Mm. with ourselves is important just as patience with other people is important like we have to understand that like you're not just going to read a book get a program Mm. and be fine that's bullshit that's complete bullshit that's just not real like what's real is like wrestling with our identities mm-hmm. understanding human condition and relationships processing these things and i really do think patience with ourselves like coming from a place where i, I don't think i was taught the greatest relationship with guilt and shame mm-hmm. um, for a multitude of reasons I, I think as i began to at least dive into what i have in my own experience with psychology and guilt and shame um to me, guilt and shame is the opposite of patience with ourselves because it means, and I'm not saying we shouldn't like try to be really intentional and get things done in terms of like ref- like being remorseful about things we do that hurt people or like things like that. That's like a different story. But like, I think when it comes down to it, like if we're not patient with ourselves, like we become laden with really heavy heavy things about that we want to solve we're not going to solve those things quickly mm-hmm. um, it's very easy to say very difficult to do mm-hmm. um, but I think being patient with ourselves in a process is really critical mm-hmm. to just having mental stability um, to giving yourself enough time like healing after a relationship healing after the loss of a friend I, 
I've had this conversation with, with the loss of Ryan done. I, I can't remember where I saw this article, but it talked about how when a close friend passes, how that's so different than like the other circumstances in our lives of like, like maybe older people in our family dying, like obviously sudden deaths are different, but like kind of deaths that would somewhat be considered natural life rather than something that's very sudden. And that it takes us between four to six years to truly process that because we're like, if it's someone that's that close to us, like they are gone now from here at least. And the practices of like healing from that and like the patience of of that process of healing. Um, and then also like wanting in, to stay connected. Mm-hmm. Like I still talk to Ryan. That's a, that's a practice that me and several of my friends through that process talk about how important mm-hmm. that is to us. Like we, when I go to the mountains and I go backcountry skiing and I get a moment, I share words with Ryan mm-hmm. because that's where I also feel connected to him in my process with that. And I think that that's something that's been really, really neat to me is learning how to mourn, mm-hmm. learning how to celebrate, learning how to be joyful, and understanding that all of those things we have to be patient with ourselves because mm-hmm. we're not gonna know how to do that. Mm-hmm. The only way we know how to do something that works is by trying it mm-hmm. and trying it and trying it. And I think that patience is so critical. That also rolls into like our external relationships, mm-hmm. not just with ourselves, but with a partner, with friends, um, yeah, I think it's pretty critical. Wow. Sorry, I'm just going That's amazing. That's like really I great I like about left field. <laughs> that's that's you so incredible. Reel me insane. in. <laughs> um, um, when it comes, so I'm debating about whether I want to go here. Yeah, we're going to do it. So it seems like a lot of what you've gone through and a lot of how you've developed who you are has been through this passing. Um, this, I know. Brian's passing was really, I want to say monumental for you, um, and has really helped develop this reflection, develop this process of who you are. Um, so what are your thoughts on like death and on the afterlife? Like what happens after? Yeah. Just small um, talk today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, um, Ryan passed in the summer of 2017. Um, I was, I had moved out to the small town. I'd been out there for a little over a year off and on, and then had moved out there full time just a couple months before. And I was, Ryan is a very important person to me, still is. Um, And he was younger, he was about about four years younger than me. we got introduced initially when we were in college, actually. I'd overlapped, it took several extra years to get my college degree. School wasn't mm. too easy on me. Um, and I got introduced to him through my buddy Christian. And I didn't really see things as like a mentor relationship. We were just friends. Yeah. Like, Ryan is awesome and very engaged, very thoughtful. Um, very much exploring things in the world and asking big questions and was such a deep thinker. 
and through this process, it was it was a season of life, I would say, that kind of built to Ryan's death. He took his own life. It's obviously a, a very big topic of conversation in modern culture. Um, strangely, I had also, in about a two-year span, I knew, I like personal people that I knew, six people had taken their lives. And it was, it's like obviously like, a social conversation that was started happening. It's like, okay, awareness on mental health. We need to talk about this more. Um, and I was kind of like, yeah, we do need to talk about it more. And this is happening all over the place too. It's not third degree connections, fourth degree connections. It's first degree relationships. And it was very, it was just like, all those things are always shocking. Um, they're not always surprising. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're not shocking. Yeah. Because it's, we're human. Yeah. We hurt. We like lose. It's so shocking and sudden. And um, no matter what someone's gone through or a journey you've walked through with them. And I think in some of the prep in that experience of having other people there, you know, you're always kind of like, yeah, I mean, I knew that person or that person was a work person or, yeah, through another relationship and they knew them. Uh, and then it's like your best friend. Mm-hmm. And that is very shocking. And you just get leveled. That's what it was. I got leveled by that. Yeah. I remember the phone call that I got. I collapsed to the ground. I actually like hurt a muscle in my like abdominal, an abdominal muscle. I hurt it during the time because I collapsed from crying so deeply because it was it was an immediate weight of losing someone that was so close to me i my parents are still living i've i've lost like great grandparents and some other people and obviously family but that's where this article that i was referencing about loss talked very specifically about losing a best friend Mm. and and an intimate friend that knows so much about who you are in knowing that you can't have those healing and loving conversations and you can't process things and you're not gonna laugh together and you're not gonna touch each other. You're not gonna be able to like hug again. You're not gonna be able to be in the same place. You're not gonna, there are all these things that immediately you're flooded with that are just gone. And I think that that began a process of even deeper reflection in my own life through the process of mourning and celebrating his life. I don't want to let that be yeah. absent. Um, I think that in in death, like I, we experience death in and out of our lives and, and come in contact with a lot of people who, you know, are experiencing death. And one of the, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't, it's so hard to know what to say to people when someone loses someone close to them. And it is. And I definitely don't have the answer for that. Um, but what I have come to, to focus on when, I hear of death, I let a person know whether I'm like seeing them or just you shoot them a text or like however we have to do that now. Um, And just say like, this is awful because it is. Death is awful. It's heartbreaking. Um, And it's heartbreaking because like that being that we love so much is now absent from our reality in our presence. we don't get to enjoy them anymore. We don't get to do all of those things. Um, and I usually, um, well, I always 
I say like I, I hope that you can find healing in the mourning and in the celebration of that person's life because we do have to heal um, and that takes a lifetime truly yeah. I think of every like for me if anyone in my life who's passed and who has died um, there are like that we have like if we have good memories and we have like things that we've stored away deep into our minds like they will those memories and who they are are with us forever mm-hmm. of our time and existence in reality um, like what well, someone that comes to mind is my great grandfather my mom's grandfather um, called him Pop um, he passed when I was probably in my early teens um, but I have all of these memories with him and I went back and looked up a lot of history of his life and learned a lot about him that I feel like made, had, gave me a lot of insight into who he was as a person that I, and I didn't know him then, obviously was, this was decades and decades ago. Um, but like, I feel really connected to him still uh, because I also have things about him. I have a, um, like this crocheted piece that was made for him in his office where he worked in Chicago that I have on my wall now. Mm-hmm. Every time I see it, I, I get to be reminded of him. Um, I have things from Ryan, like in my process with Ryan, we, Everyone descended on Chattanooga, Tennessee, where Ryan lived, and we went to kind of pack up his house and help his family transition things out of his space. Um, and Ryan lived in this awesome community. It's off of, it's called Glass Street. Um, a mate, like, vibrant community of people who are awesome uh, artists, musicians, um, like daycares and community things and all this stuff going on in the city it was so cool and in in doing so we had also like met a lot of people who he had influenced through this wilderness therapy program he had started it's called bridge chattanooga um i i was um on the kind of initial board his board president kind of helping him get some things off the ground with it for several years uh, it was really cool to see this process but he wanted to create a wilderness therapy program for urban students who hadn't spent a lot of time in the wilderness Mm -hmm. to get out and experience nature and think and heal and process and just it's not about I think saying like oh it's these kids from these environments and they need X it's more saying like we all need this and I see there to be a specific need here in this community and in communities surrounding this to have access to this so he just did it himself um, at, in his mid twenties and just wow. worked really hard to do that. Mm. And when we were cleaning out his house, I found one of his boards. Um, it's kind of like a big billboard paper thing that he wrote notes on. He had principles from his program. Um, and I have two of them tattooed now uh, on my side. And it was really neat cause he, it was in his handwriting his handwriting is garbage. It looked awful. <laughs> it's hilarious. Did um, you get the tattoo in his handwriting? Yeah. That's so amazing. like, and it was, but it was so powerful. Like we pulled this thing out and we were looking at it. It was like, oh, these are principles of the program. And the first principle of the program that he would like use to like talk to students about before is um, what they were going to do. He would say, this is an expedition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent a lot of time outside. I like being in mountains and in the woods. I feel very lucky to be able to do that. And um, the idea behind an expedition uh, it's kind of an intentional going out with like an objective in mind kind of thing and you know he was taking students out who were you know 
like middle school, like like adolescence, things like that. So like there's also like it's the season where you're kind of like forming all the way that you look at the world and so you'd start by that was a big thing for him was this is an expedition. Like when we go out to the woods, whether it's just to go on a hike or whether we want to play in a river or whatever we're doing, like intentionality is what he would drive. Because that's who he was mm-hmm. as, an, as an individual. He, he was deeply intentional, probably to a fault to some people. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, Ryan, intense, too intentional, cool it. Uh, but he, he was so good at it. And he was good at being very attentive to what people and the energy around him was. Mm-hmm. He could adapt and shift. And I think it's why he had so much influence is like he was so thoughtful and so present. Um, and then the, I had not, I had seen these principles and some things when he had originally done them, but one of the pieces that I, the next a couple down was no future questions. Probably my favorite thing. So this is something that he taught to his students and it was a rule. There are no future questions. Future question being, when will we get there? Where are we going? How are we doing like all of these things related to like timelines because he was teaching in the most basic way, but in such a meaningful way to be present. Mm. And he was working to get kids who like, there are some environments that some of these students have come from that are very unsettling, you know, and, and they're, it's rough. Like we all have these certain experiences in our childhood, but like, you know, lacking stability and um, just the challenges of like, honestly, modern culture and being a kid and he was training kids who were in like you know eight nine ten years old twelve years old thirteen years old to like be present Mm. i was not taught that i was 13 years old um or when i was 10 or eight or anything like you know i feel like i learned that in adulthood because of like psychologists (laughs) who like wrote books you know it's like okay and he was doing this uh and he had a bachelor's degree in psychology he was not like he wasn't a licensed therapist he wasn't he didn't get a master's degree like a basic bachelor's degree in understanding psychology and um i think like in processing and being present after his death and being influenced ironically like i was being influenced by who he was in his death Mm. and that had a lot of transformational meaning to me and it was deeply transformational it was also very challenging it was deeply emotional it was so much to heal and so much to process, but also so much to be grateful for. Not to sound weird about yeah. being grateful. So I'm, if there's anything I could change in my like life right now, I would love to be able to scoop him back, yeah. wind back time. Can't do that. I heard an interview actually recently with Stephen Colbert where he's talking about something similar to this, where he says, it's like talking about how he, he's, grateful for things that have happened but it doesn't have to mean that he's okay with the things that happened and i'm not okay with having lost ryan i'm not okay that he took his life i'm not okay that he's gone going back to what we talked about earlier what's in our control and what's out of our control that circumstance is not in my control what is in my control is what i do about it um, and what I let influence and I've let continually let Ryan's being influence who I am because who he was is amazing yeah. and, and, and it's a person I strive to be and I think that as that that experience and that's one experience with death mm-hmm. um, 
causes you to be deeply reflective about life and to really start to get real about what matters, what has value, what's important to me. Um, what do I want to do? What do I care about? Um, and I think that his, his death was a compliment to what processes I was beginning in life. And that's really difficult for me to say, because I, again, I would do anything to change that. Um, but I have to, I have to accept the reality of that. And I have to choose what to do moving forward. And I choose to celebrate his life, choose to be influenced by who he was. Um, and I, I will, this is not easy and I'm not good at it, but try to be present and try to, that's, and so those are, those are the, the two things in my tattoo or this is an expedition. Um, cause that gets me stoked and gets me excited about everything mm. being kind of intentional and mm. whether it's relationships or work or anything and no future questions. Like, am I working on living that as well? Because being in the present is one of the ways that we know from a mental health standpoint or physical standpoint that we can um, care for ourselves and that we can like experience the world around us. So I think like going in that in terms of death and death is an ultimate reality. And it's one of our guarantees, right, in life. It's kind of like, okay, as we come into consciousness, we realize that death is inevitable. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean we have to like it necessarily. But as with most things that are inevitable, it helps if we're willing to understand it the best that we can. Um, I don't, I think that if there's anything that's pretty, that has like a, I guess it would be like a negative byproduct. It would be like knowing that something is ultimate reality or knowing something that is a part of reality and choosing to ignore it or suppress mm. it um, or act like it's not there. Mm. Um, and not that that's simple. Death, I am afraid of dying. I don't know what's next. I know what people whom I love very much believe is next. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of people who are confused about what next. I know a lot of people who believe nothing about what's next. Like, yeah. right? It's like this the massive spectrum. spectrum of like what comes next. And I honestly like not to not answer your question. I don't know. Yeah. That is my answer to that because we don't. Yeah. I know what people believe. I know that there are some things that I do believe, but I do not know. Mm. I think that's critical. Mm. The very critical uh, difference there. It is, and I had a friend, one of my closest friends, Mikey, he helped me understand this. Some people in my network will probably be very bothered by this, but it was very insightful to me. And he just said, you know, when it comes to like the afterlife and when it comes to like what's next, I find it to be incredibly arrogant when people say they know what it is. Mm. I was like, yeah, I can get on board with that. I like that. I, and I don't think that everyone's being arrogant mm -hmm. who believes in something afterlife. Mm -hmm. That's not. I think it's when it's like this is it. Mm -hmm. I know it is this. Believe this. Do this. Mm -hmm. It's like okay, but that's pretty limiting, and that doesn't really allow ourselves to say like 
what are some other perspectives on that mm -hmm. <laughs> to begin to think about yeah. a large spectrum like yeah. I feel like oftentimes influences like that come from an immediate community or family or extension that's exactly what i was going to say and yeah. we need to have greater perspectives it doesn't mm -hmm. mean people shouldn't maintain and continue their belief structure i don't mm -hmm. not saying that in any way i i think i am so grateful for the people that i have in my life who believe different things because mm -hmm. if it wasn't for them i would not have the perspective i have in the world yeah and i also wouldn't have like right now i'm i've been going through some health things we've talked about this a little bit yeah i was diagnosed with it's called iga nephropathy it's a kidney disease um, and uh, it's, you know, it's a medical condition, but whatever, that doesn't matter. And, but one of the things, and this is about spiritual spirituality, it's not really about death, but it's kind of about how we we're living now mm. and how the influence of people around us have. Now, I have been, it has been so meaningful to me to have people, as I've like shared with them, and people are saying like, I am praying for you. I think in times of my life, I would have been bothered by that. Mm. Not, I think. In times of my life, I would have been bothered <laughs> by that because yeah. I was going through my own transformational experience and I yeah. was like, okay, like, just need to like, like ease up on that. Give me a couple years, which I've tried to give myself and I am, I am so grateful for that. Like, that is so meaningful to me. It is so thoughtful and it is so loving. Now, some people, it might be bullshit. Some people might just be saying mm -hmm. it and not actually doing that. It doesn't matter though, like, what is prayer? Like, mm -hmm. prayer is a lot of different things to different people. So like, the fact that someone is saying like, I am thinking about you, I am considering you in what you're going through, that is so thoughtful. Like, mm -hmm. and whether it's through prayer, whether it's through just thinking, like whenever it's that like, we're being thought of, that is like so powerful to me. And I think that those things connect to aspects of spirituality in the afterlife. A lot of that comes from like, a culture that I was raised in, in terms of like like modern orthodox christianity and people kind of you know saying like we pray because our words and our thoughts move to god um this is their perspective yeah. um and you know in doing so god cares for um people mm -hmm. um i don't really know i don't know how to explain what i believe about god i like I want to believe in God. Mm. I do, I do, no matter how it comes out to it, I yeah. do believe in God. Mm -hmm. Just what that looks like. Yeah, what that is though, mm -hmm. I don't know about that. Like, I don't know why God would have a gender. Mm -hmm. I don't know, and maybe these are things that are like, oh, I'm so liberal by thinking these things. I don't know, like, I, I don't, that's not my intention and I don't care about that. I think it's just more of like the way that I begin to reflect and like think about the things that I was raised believing and what I believe now is that like God doesn't have to be a gender mm -hmm. um, there doesn't have to be certain things now obviously people who have like biblical theological perspectives on that that's different because like there's also a lot of theologies about how to interpret mm -hmm. the Bible just like there are a lot of theologies about how to interpret the Quran mm -hmm. um, and like other religious texts and yeah. things like that like yes there's like a lot of ways to interpret these things where I've come from and the world I've lived in, what I've experienced, I have met people all over the world who believe so many different things about mm. what happens in our lives after death. Mm. What, you know, what means, what what is a meaningful death? What, you know, what is like, what happens? And 
I had this experience one time that I'm, I will forever be grateful for. I was in, I had like a layover in, in Dubai, which is like a very modern city, kind of fabricated, mm-hmm. still cool, uh, but it's like fabricated. Mm-hmm. I, I was flying through and decided to like walk around and I, um, it was on a Friday, so there was a call to worship and teaching from the mosques and I approached someone who was going into the mosque and there were like people everywhere going in. I didn't know a lot about Islam at the time. Um, I just said, hey, like, I've never been in a mosque. Can I come in and, like, experience this Friday worship, teaching? I didn't know what, I didn't know what yeah. I don't know a lot. I didn't know a lot about it. And uh, he was like, yeah, absolutely. Come on in, sit in the back. Um, I sat down. It was very moving. Incredible. Thousands of people. Um, and his teachings are happening prayers um and afterwards i ended up um getting like people were kind of wondering why i was there it was actually kind of intimidating and i was kind of being surrounded by people after who were like what are you doing here like mm. you're not dressed appropriately yeah certain things and i was like oh gosh like and i because i hate like in all of my experiences of going to different parts of the world and meeting so many people like cultural relevance and being aware of yourself is very important to me. Mm. Not standing out is very important to me. Like, I don't care about, I definitely don't want to be the center of attention. I don't mm. want, I kind of want to just be blended in. Yeah. And this was very much a not blended in circumstance. And I was taken out to lunch um, by kind of one of the people in leadership. And we had hours of conversation. It was incredible. I just got to talk here's you know this is where I'm from certain perspectives of of where I was how I was raised and the way people tend to look at different environments in the Middle East and the culture and the religion and it was an amazing conversation very life changing mm-hmm. to me in terms of thinking about the way I see the world so we were together for like six hours. It was crazy. They like treated me to lunch. They took me out. They bought me this like awesome outfit. I just felt like really taken care of and like yeah. um, really uh, the hospitality was like incredible. Mm. Of course, it's like pretty much everywhere, you know, where you go and who you experience. But um, at the end of the conversation was the most powerful part. I've been talking about these things. At first he was like, oh, are you here to convert to Islam? And I'm like, no. But like, here's how I see the world. I would like to hear how you see the world. We talked, talked. At the end of the night, it was really awesome because he had been talking, it's kind of so much about, at the early stage of the conversation, hours before, it had felt very like influential, like, mm-hmm. oh, you're here to convert. Like you, you're here to find out what you need to do to convert mm-hmm. and what that means. By the end of the conversation, the end of the night, he said, Austin, I'm going to continue to pray for you in your life. I'm not going to pray that you convert to Islam or a different religion. I'm going to pray that you seek truth. And that's how we like ended the conversation. Uh, And they took me to the airport, like so gracious and so hospitable. And it was so meaningful to me to be told by someone, especially in an environment I grew up in where like, you know, converting people to the faith that you believe in is a priority to a lot of people. I don't have any criticism of that. That's not true. I have criticism of that, but like, mm. it's people doing their thing. So yeah. like, all right. Um, 
this was like it was just so powerful mm-hmm. to have that experience so i think like you know as i reflect on on death and i think about this even in the midst of my own fears or my own unknowns um I'm really grateful that there are experiences like that in my life mm-hmm. that challenge the way that I think about what's next mm-hmm. in terms of our consciousness and reality. Um, because I feel like the people that I've been able to experience around the world have had great influence on the way that I see reality here and on the ways that I anticipate the reality of what's after this life. Wow. So I don't know what happens. And I'm really comfortable saying that because I know that I believe that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. On that note, I think we can call this. Great. Austin, it has been such a pleasure. This was an absolute blast. Thanks. Thank you. Awesome.